Hello and welcome to the AIPT Comics Podcast, episode 180. Wow, this is like the complete opposite <laughs> of uh, earlier episodes. <laughs> oh my god, you're so right. We, yeah. we, we're, we're, we're doing a 180 this week. Uh, That's right. My name's Nathan Simmons, and I'm here with David Brooke. I'm David Brooke, and we're talking about NASCAR this week. Is, hey! that, is NASCAR the opposite of comic books? I don't know. Probably. I mean, they go round and round, so mm. it's like, you know, a serial, in mm-hmm. a sense. This week, Scott Snyder joins the show to talk about Barnstormers, Deadly Datsun and the Forever Machine, and Canary all out next week from Comixology. It's his second wave of his comics, eight mm. Comixology titles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude does not slow down. Uh, I mean, la- what, the first wave was f- three, four books at once, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, when he was at DC, he I mean, he he, he managed multiple events sure. over the years, but he never had more than, like, one or two titles at a time, right? Right. Y- yeah, I mean, like, uh, there was, you know, for, I mean, uh, if you don't count, like, event books, yeah, I mean, he was doing, uh, at one point he was doing Batman Swamp Thing. Oh, yeah. And I forgot about I that. think occasional Justice League fill-ins. And then right. event, you know, eventually took over Justice League with No Justice and the main yep. title and all that good stuff. Yeah, the the guy, he's he's a prolific uh, prolific fella. And he's getting to let his freak flag fly with some <laughs> of these new books, which I, yeah. I love. Like Night of the Demon. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely just so rad. It's funny, in the interview later in the show, he says, like, the first three that came out were more... Night of the Ghouls, sorry. I, would, I just rewatched Night of the Demons this weekend. Oh. <laughs> Those three titles were very, like, kind of what you expect from Scott Snyder. From sure. Scott Snyder, he says that. And mm-hmm. then the next three are a little more outside of his wheelhouse, so Ooh. it's something a little different from him. Also, I gotta say, if you're interested in, like, comics politics, he gets into it with, like... You know, Amazon buying Comixology and the app not quite working. He gets into DC and how he had, like, certain amount of indie books he could do, uh, but he never did them because he was so uh, exhausted from the politics of working at DC and oh, trying sure. to talk to people. So it's really interesting. Really I mean, he's, he's talked about that a little bit when uh, <clears throat> when we had him on for his, like, death metal exit interview. I mean, that yeah. was, like... Yeah, he, yeah. You know, he said there were a lot of people he had to please <laughs> as I mean, which makes sense because you're dealing with all of the big characters at the same time, plus yeah. alternate universes and, yeah. and all this other stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I think by the time he left D.C., he was like, man, I just need to write mm-hmm. something on my own terms. And it's been really yeah. exciting to see him exploring that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I was saying this to friends after I did the interview, like, um, I don't know. How, I don't know any other writer who could pull off this many new titles in just two years. That's, <laughs> sure. that's a lot. Yeah. But uh, if you don't know, this is the comic book podcast where we recap the biggest news of the week. We review our favorite comics and, of course, have special guests too. Woo. I'm always looking forward to the kapow moment of the week because I just get to <laughs> I get to hear Nathan say kapow. Kapow. <laughs> but to start every show, we start with the news, and this Ooh. week it's been a while since we've had some depressing news, but we're going to start with it. Oni Press had some layoffs this week, and uh, on top of that, they yeah. released an abhorrent statement, I would uh, uh, describe it. <laughs> y- y- yeah, it's not great. No, it's not a good look. Um, so Oni, throughout the week, uh, I think it was a Wednesday, Thursday-ish, mm-hmm. uh, key uh, editors and folks uh, behind the scenes, um, like VP of Sales and marketing, Alex Segura, were let go. Mm-hmm. They took to Twitter and let people know. They didn't necessarily disparage Oni Press or anything like that. Right. But then it, it got a lot of people talking on Twitter. If you're living in that ecosystem, mm-hmm. you couldn't have missed it. Right. And so people were, like, trying to figure out what's going on. Everyone was, you know, like, uh, there was a there was a really interesting note from Eric Donovan at one point where he was talking about basically, like, if, if a writer... 
if a writer is mad at the publisher, the publisher's done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, yeah. if the if yeah. the, this many people feel like they've been wronged. But the thing is, like you said, like the first wave of messages were people just kind of saying like, I don't really know what the future holds. I mm-hmm. I really loved my time here. I, you know, uh, best of luck to everyone else that's getting laid off. And then sort of uh, in the evening hours, Oni put out this tweet. Yeah, it was that, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. That was basically just like, don't listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's read the first sentence of this. It's it's, it's, it's quite oh, something. Man, with wildly sensationalistic rumors circulating <laughs> and false information spreading, we'd like to reiterate that recent recent personnel changes at Oni Lion Forge Publishing Group were made with the sole purpose of evolving the company and brand and positioning it for long term success. Um, they right. go on to they go on to say we see an incredibly <laughs> exciting future not just for the company yeah. but for our fans and content consumers worldwide which is a, right. a puzzling way to describe yeah there was a, maybe they're they're positioning to not just do comics or something possibly uh it, it, it's not great and this this really like really upset people who who felt yeah. like they were being yeah. very devalued and th- just mm-hmm. the the simple act of saying like I got laid off out of the blue led yeah. to led to Oni basically being like you know, fuck this noise. I, I don't Shut, know. Up. Uh, Shut up. It's just so, it's, yeah, it was a, it we're was laughing. a to see. I'm laughing, but it's out of like almost depression in a sense. Oh, sure. It's, no, it's it, really it is 100% just like, I'm baffled by I can't this. believe it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, Artist uh, uh, Marley Zarcone, she mm-hmm. tweeted the best thing. In this statement, they say, Oni's history is 25 years in the business. They talk about how they've been around for 25 years. And yeah. Marley says, it's a hell of a thing to lay off pe- great people then brag about 25 years of their labor. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, and the thing is, like, the the, the general consensus seems to be uh, that Oni is not the publisher that it has been for the last 25 years. I mean, no, we, we've, really been hearing, we've been hearing rumors, uh, uh, well, not even just rumors, we've been hearing four months from creators that people yeah. aren't getting paid on time, that their books right. are getting held up. Uh, I believe... Um, was it Matthew Ehrman or so, someone else was basically saying recently that they, they were like, I've had a book on on the shelf at Oni for like two years. And so I just bought it back from them. Like, uh, right. You know, th- 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 that kind of thing has been happening a lot lately. And and it's a it's a real bummer. Um, and there was a r- really great write up from uh, Chris Aaron at Popverse uh, mm-hmm. where they spoke with uh, current and former employees who are basically like, there's no direction right now, right? Yeah. Like yep. they're 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 saying like people are getting laid off. Where uh, roles are constantly being switched back and forth. Where people are taking another job that they aren't necessarily qualified for just because they're the one left. Um, which is something you see when like a newspaper collapses. Um, and essentially like the the log line that they keep being fed internally is this same thing of like we're just really excited about the future and everyone's like well what is what is this long-term success if we're all fucking gone (laughs) yep yeah yeah and honestly as someone who you know manages um comic book reviews and gets comics coming in all the time in the last two or three years they've been doing a lot of queer comics which is great but they're also doing a lot more rick and morty it seems sure and before the Lion Forge uh, well, that, that merger, that makes sense to me because if you're having yeah. financial issues, you're definitely going to lean on your recognizable properties. Oh sure, it's um, easier to sell, right? Yeah, of course. When they merged with Lion Forge in 2019, I swear there was mm-hmm. a shift, there was a change. 
the type of books that were coming out. They, first of all, they were I think they were putting out less, but then also the type of books that were coming out mm-hmm. were a, a, I don't know a little different, a little just I don't know they weren't marketing it as much. Yeah, I, I I think the merger was almost the beginning of the end. It was and... like you remember when they, like Lion Forge brought Gail Simone in to create basically a whole new superhero universe, uh, right? And I feel like I saw more <laughs> more of a marketing push from her tweets than I saw from yeah. the company itself. Uh, and maybe that's just because I, you know, was in different circles or whatever. But uh, it just it. That's always seemed like a big failing of the company, just from my perspective. And the merger, a lot of people were laid off at that merger, too. Right. So, uh, I, it's not super surprising to me that this happened. It's just, <laughs> the statement is surprising, because I can't believe someone wrote that. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> I thought and, that was a good and, idea. And, like, I, I feel bad for whoever the the person is in their yeah. Uh, marketing department or whatever intern was asked to upload that at, like, 8.30 <laughs> at night, because it's... Yeah. Whatever they're getting, pa- they were getting paid to deal with the comments. It wasn't mm-hmm. enough. Like I, no, <laughs> you know, no. like that's that's the thing that I always I always feel bad whenever something like that goes up because you know the person that posted it usually didn't write it. No, yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, some big heavy hitter creators like we've already mentioned uh, commented. Mark Wade took to Facebook and was like, "This is terrible. This is the worst dumpster fire." He literally says dumpster fire. <laughs> He's seen. And he and and a lot and he he echoes something a lot of other creators I've seen mm-hmm. say, which is try to buy back your comic if it's not out yet. Yeah. Um, try to get out of your contract because you don't want your comic or your your IP to be stuck yeah. in whatever mess this is going to be for the next few months or years. I mean, we've seen this we've seen this happen with publishers like Action Lab, where you know people are people are not getting paid or they're waiting to waiting to put out a book that they you know don't own the rights to anymore because guys like. Right comic book creators by and large are freelancers, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so they're just, you know, it, it's, it sucks to work really hard on something and then wait two years for it to pay mm-hmm. off, you know? Yeah. 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 Time is money. Right. And Absolutely. a lot of these people are waiting for the book they think or, or that will uh, do really well and set off their career. Um, I, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a follow-up statement in the next few days, just to kind of like, clear that try to clear the air more but i I don't i don't i can't imagine it's going to uh please everybody based on the statement and some of the rumors going around if it really is being bought out who Mm -hmm. would who would even be the suitor for oni press lion forge do you think image i don't know i don't know i mean i I feel like it 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 rarely happens yeah i mean i feel like if it's being bought it'd be like a digital platform or something like that Uh, oh sure the way things are going Um, hey amazon Comicsology, yeah, yeah folded into Comicsology. <laughs> oh God. Well, moving on to uh, some other big news, and I think this was yeah. the biggest wave of news before the Oni Press news came out. This was a roller coaster. <laughs> it was a roller coaster. Boom puts out this teaser uh, that has like Mark Wade's evil or whatever. Mark Wade is still evil. Yeah. And everyone's like, I-, I assumed it meant new book, new new series coming for Irredeemable, um, yeah. which has a Netflix deal makes so much sense to put out another Irredeemable when mm-hmm. that show eventually comes out. But then, like, a day later, they come out with the Kickstarter news that there's mm-hmm. a library edition uh, reprinting the entire Irredeemable series. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's what they were hyping. And then the next day, they're like, nope, new series, 2023. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, so Mark Wade and Peter Krause are going to uh, be taking us into their irredeemable universe again mm-hmm. um, in 2023. The library edition, so that was another thing. This is the second time now Kickstarter, uh, Baboom has used Kickstarter to launch something quite large and expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and once again, people are a little annoyed that a big publisher is using Kickstarter to right. to make cash. I, I'm kind of on the fence on it. I don't think it's that big of a deal. See, for, for me, I think it I think it's interesting when it, when it leads to fun extras and oh, sure. and, and like special incentives like that, yeah. which, which is, you know, a, a harder thing for a company to mass produce, uh, even yeah. a company like boom. Yeah. Like I, yeah. so I, I, I totally get doing this for, Oh, I, I would love to read all of, you know, we, we have the option to buy these uh, in paperback or we can mm-hmm. get this big ass <laughs> hardcover collection, which yeah. looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you know, you can get a version that's signed, comes with a slip case, like all these different tiers. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I kind of dig it, but I, I totally get why it's off putting to people. Yeah. I, on top of all that, like, uh, I think there's a couple of trades and you can't even get irredeemable back issues for some no. of these books. No, I mean, uh, so uh, it's kind of needed. I, I've actually never read insufferable before, uh, mm-hmm. because I've never been able to hunt it down. Um, right. but I, I read irredeemable and incorruptible like crazy. I was yeah. so into those books. Uh, I don't know how, you know, it, it was around the same era that I was reading the boys. So I don't know exactly <laughs> how well it, sure. it holds up, but yeah, I remember it being this moment of like, Oh, Mark Wade's got like this meanness <laughs> somewhere. Mm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's usually doing the the cheery happy hero kind of I thing. I mean, he he's the one who turned Daredevil around and made him quippy again. So Right. Uh, right. Yeah, I I uh I'm cu- I'm also curious to see what this book, this new series is because mm. uh the ending of the original is extremely definitive. Yeah. Um so uh you know, I'm I'm thinking, you know, when the boys came back, we got a prequel series or like we got like kind of a prequel mixed with a sequel series. So I'm thinking maybe a yeah. you know Sim- maybe when they were similar. developing the Netflix show, an idea sprouted or something. Oh, maybe, yeah. Uh, you know, there's like a, some editor or producer that uh, went up to Mark Wade and was like, "Homelander, popular, slam, a thousand dollars on the table. Yeah, make more." <laughs> it is weird that Bizarro is a Netflix executive. <laughs> I know it's very strange, yeah. but um, they are quite evil. Yeah, well, actually, they're one. quite good. He am good. He, he am good. good. <laughs> Uh, other uh, news that made waves this week was Marvel went ahead and spoiled X-Men Hellfire Gala number one themselves, yep. um, which actually was unfortunately spoiled by some press uh, earlier in the week. Uh, it was making the rounds on Twitter. Everyone mm-hmm. knew the X-Men team. The new X-Men team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To the point um, where like, I didn't know we weren't supposed to know that when, like when I saw yeah. that image, like yeah. I was like, hang on, uh, is this out yet? Like I was <laughs> just sort of disconnected this week. You know what's crazy is I have insider info. I only got it like on Wednesday mm. that this was uh, spoiled two or three months ago. A really? bunch of ex pe- ex Twitter folks got hold of a unfinished the unfinished team lineup that Russell Donnerman drew. Oh wow! Um, I had no yeah. idea. So yeah, it's maybe that's why people were fine chatting about it because they're like, oh, this has been known for a while. But sure, a lot of circles sense. didn't know. I wonder if it hurt the sales that people like got the spoiled. Maybe yeah, not. I don't know. They uh, also revealed some X Men thirteen preview pages, so we get a, a taste of the new team, the new team in action, and we we will talk mm. about this new team later mm. in the episode. Indeed, little, we will tease here. And then Marvel blew our minds again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with the Daredevil number six fifty milestone issue, which is also 
uh, non-legacy numbering Daredevil mm-hmm. number two, which is kind of hilarious to me. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's going to be a giant-sized issue. And Docenti and JRJR himself are going to be yeah. supplying stories. Uh, Zdarsky's actually uh, drawing Anne's story, too, which is really cool. Uh, yeah. But we got uh, Alex so Maleev, Phil Noto, Chris Samney, Klaus Janssen, Mike Hawthorne. I mean, these are some of the primo, primo uh, Daredevil artists I mean, of our that time. Klaus Janssen, Typhoid Mary, just, like, yeah, yeah. Ugh, hits me right in the heart. It makes me so happy. Um, yeah, man, this is awesome. I'm so excited to, uh, it's so funny that Zdarsky's like, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm an issue two. Oh, wait, it's issue 650. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> yeah. it was part of his, uh, his statement about it. But, uh, yeah, I, I love that they're doing this. It's 650 is an odd, uh, uh, sort of, uh, celebratory number celebratory number but yeah Yeah. it's really exciting to to see all this when this podcast gets to 650 what should we do should we have chip zardarsky oh no yeah i'm gonna have uh, i'm gonna have jrgr draw us (laughs) oh shit yeah we should do that it'll just be a silent show we'll just Uh we'll just hear him scribbling (laughs) but uh really Uh, cool to see also all these covers kind of celebrating different eras of the book too people were really excited on Twitter. let me tell you this this tweet blew up um, also revealed this week is Spider UK, a new Spider-Man character yeah. uh, in the Edge of Spider-Verse. They basically kind of spoiled one of the stories, essentially, for mm-hmm. the upcoming August 17th issue, which essentially is an anthology. Dan Slott's doing one story that's leading into his upcoming Spider-Man run. Yeah. Um, but then we've got other stories, too. The Spider UK one is by uh, Ramsey and artist Rory Coleman, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's designed by Zori Thorgood. Who's yeah, amazing. Which I love. I love this. Uh, yeah. I was a big fan of the the previous Spider UK design, but I, right. I like this one even more. I love the big belt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love the decorative uh, seat kind of belt. Punk. belt. Uh, it's so oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't pick And then it has like studs on it too. Studs on it. There's uh, lots of zippers on this suit. I'm a sucker for zippers and belts. <laughs> which get is this why man I, a zipper belt. I like, get this man a zipper. This is why I love Spider Punk so much. So many zippers, mm. so many pens so many belts hardcore stuff lots of jackets speaking of hardcore though mm. werewolf by night versus moon knight what yeah a new halloween moon knight annual number one issue is coming out just in time for halloween october mm-hmm. 26th this was another bit of news that i i post this news and i'm like eh here's the news and then all of a sudden like an hour later i'm like oh my god there's so many people talking about this guarantee you like this this lends more to my theory that the the unannounced uh, Disney Plus Halloween special is going to be Moon Knight versus Werewolf by mm. Night. Oh, I hope so. And they're going to get Oscar Isaac, you think? Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd, I would hope I would hope Moon Knight <laughs> makes an appearance. My God, it's Stephen Grant here. Hello, it's me, <laughs> Stephen Grant. I, I, I don't know what to do. I hope you're enjoying me book. <laughs> you're going to wake up in four days in <laughs> Egypt. <laughs> you're like, how did I get here? I'm written by oh. Jed McKay, I know. The next bit of Marvel news was kind of a surprise because it didn't come from Marvel proper. Uh, oh, yeah. This was really exciting. Christopher Cantwell just, I don't know why, took to Twitter and told everyone he's doing Namor the Submariner. Uh, also revealed it was his first pitch to Marvel. And wow. uh, they, they, of course, went with Doctor Doom instead. But we're finally going to get his first pitch, Namor the Submariner, with uh, Pasquale Ferry on art. Yeah, and uh, post-apocalyptic 
uh, Namor kind of uh, living out his days after the fall of man. I mean, he's this hundred years into the future. Yeah, this image of him sitting atop a city underwater, uh, just really fantastic. Yeah, I found this out because uh, comedian Paul F. Tompkins commented on Cantwell's stat. Oh, uh, really? Post about it, and he's like, "This just sounds so cool, Chris." (laughs) And I was like, "What does Paul F. Tompkins think is cool?" And uh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I fucking this is this sounds great. It's I like mean, Namor and Waterworld, right? Right. Like, well, and I'm such a sucker for you know, uh, aging hero, one last mission type of story. Oh, sure. Uh, old man Namor. Old, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, very excited about this. That's interesting. You know, it's funny. I, I, I it's got to be coming out because Black Panther two has Namor, right? I mean, that's that's the, that's the rumor. Yeah, we don't um, really have confirmation on that, but there were some spoilers in the last week or two. Mm-hmm. Moving on to non-Marvel news, we've got some SDCC uh, panel schedules, programs mm-hmm. from Dark Horse, Boom, and IDW. Um, Dark Horse, I was going to pluck a couple things that I thought sure. were interesting. Uh, Matt Kent's going to have a panel for his Flux House label. Kevin Smith's doing a secret stash uh, panel for his label, mm-hmm. um, which should be cool. There's tons of signings from... Um, Dark Horse from uh, lots of folks, which sounds cool. Yeah. Um, and then David Dusmalkian talking up oh, yeah. Crowley, which is really exciting. Yeah. Um, we didn't mention this before, but Oni Press pulled out of SCCC. They were supposed to go, I guess. But... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, IDW uh, doesn't have panels, but they have exclusives. And mm-hmm. um, what do they have here? Oh, no, they do have panels. I got that wrong. Scott Snyder's doing um, a panel for IDW because he's got that new um, Firefighter book with Hayden Sherman coming. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. There's a Godzilla panel, a TMNT panel. If you make it to their booth on time, you can get a uh, hardcover, <laughs> uh, an autographed hardcover edition of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, which uh, I Ooh. wish I could snag. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, Boom's probably going to be the one that's making a little more splash as far as indie comics publishers because they've got Keanu Reeves. Oh my God. (laughs) Talking Berserker. Berserker, the immortal saga continues, we'll be talking about. In Hall H, no less. So. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, they they know. That means Netflix, right? That means some kind of movie thing, right? It's got. Well, be... I mean, we yeah, we've been they've been talking about the the film rights and the film adaptation of Berserker for a while, so I'm mm-hmm. hoping that means. But even if it doesn't, I mean, they they Berserker sold insanely well when it launched. It's still selling pretty well, and so it it yeah, it makes sense to me that they're they're like we should get we should get Hall H. Yeah, you know, I'm just looking at it now a little closer, and the screenwriter for Berserker will be there as well. Awesome. So I hopefully we'll get some footage or something. That'd be kind of cool. I don't know that they've started filming, have they? I don't have no idea. Okay. I have no idea. I do know it's Netflix, though, right? Because mm-hmm. they have a first look deal with Boom. Yes. Yeah, it is Netflix. Um, but I mean, if they got to film soon, Keanu is not you know de-aging anymore i disagree <laughs> I, I, I fully disagree i'm sorry you see pictures of him with people on the street and you're like wait people isn't that ken 20 years ago uh that's it for news this week uh next week of course is san diego comic-con we'll uh, we're gonna have a reporter on the ground i'm gonna be reporting from here um i've already got publishers sending me embargoed news uh which is Sweet. cool i can do it from boston uh, but yeah, stay tuned to AIPT every day of the week from uh, Thursday through Sunday. We'll obviously have uh, all the latest news from San Diego Comic-Con. And we'll talk about it on here, on the show. Yeah. The biggest, though. Not the smallest. The thickest news <laughs> that's fit to print. 
I like news that has very big circumference. Mm-hmm. In our next segment, our top books of the week, we're talking about our top two favorite comics. <gasps> Out this week? Yeah. What? Question mark? <laughs> what was your second favorite book of the week? I, I mean, I was just talking about it a few minutes ago, but I love Spider-Punk number three by Cody Ziegler nice. and Justin Mason. Uh, this issue introduces Matea Murdock, the, the, the daredevil of Spider-Punk's universe, who uh, hmm. uses is a punk rock drummer and uses drumming drum beats to sort of echolocate things around her. Oh, uh, neat. It's such a cool idea that perfectly fits in with this version of the universe. And they're going up against the Kingpin, who has been uh, extorting people all over town and using his mutant gang of marauders to uh, enforce everything. Uh, this version of the marauders is like sunspot and armor and a couple of characters that you would not expect to to see, you know, Breaking Bad. Um, nice. But it, it makes for some really great visual action. And it's just a fun little uh, pit stop in the middle of this tour that they're going on. Because uh, it, it, it but it, it the, there's a final page reveal that makes it look like the last couple issues are going to be completely insane <laughs> oh so, nice uh, yeah i i had a really fun time with this and really hope this isn't the last we see of matea yeah no i mean we've only gotten little snippets right over the years of spider punk so yeah yeah i mean this is the first real yeah know, exploration of the character aside from the one shot where uh you know he knocks the president's head off with a guitar <laughs> it's the coolest thing that's ever happened <laughs> it is it'd be neat <laughs> if he comic. uh Somehow jumped into the 616, although I don't know, maybe that's too many Spider-Man characters at that I, point. I, you know what, there's something about this DIY world where everyone just accepts that there are roving punk gangs <laughs> that enforce yeah. justice. Uh, it, it, I don't know that this character and his ethos, like, I don't know, I, I, I want just more stories about this world. I want to see more of, you know, whatever the, the punk world is. Right. Yeah, totally. Just explore that Earth even further. 38 as, do uh, prequels, do like sequels, go to the future. Yeah, right? That'd be cool. Absolutely. Uh, my second favorite book of the week was Fantastic Four number 45 by Dan Slott and Farid Karami. I uh, I fell off uh, this book a little bit. Mm -hmm. I was reading it like almost every issue. I actually own art. It's right next to me in the, on the wall from this run Dan Slott did. Yeah. Um, so I really loved it at first. It kind of fell off. I had to jump back on because this is one of the last issues. I think it is either one of or the last issue Dan Slott's writing. Um, but it wraps up <clears throat> Reckoning War. And the reason why I liked it so much is it just reminded me of old Kirby, Stan Lee, you know, Fantastic Four comics. Yeah. It's just wild in scope. There's a ton of characters in every panel. Well, not mm -hmm. every panel, but a lot of the panels. It feels very Marvel cosmic. Um, yeah. It's fixing things and kind of almost resetting things back to before slots run, which is kind of interesting. Um, so it might annoy some people, like, "Oh, this is not changing," but at the same time, like that's comics. Uh, everything sure, has to kind of sure. go back it's to cyclical. zero. Yeah, and um, there's some pretty cool ideas in here. Nick uh, Nick Fury is still the man on the wall uh, by yeah. the end. Uh, Watcher, though, I think in a way it kind of cleans up Watcher and makes him reusable in the old sense, where he was literally cool. just watching. So it's kind of, I would say, I don't know if it's the right word, but fixing things in the Marvel Universe a little bit. Yeah. But 
it's just super entertaining from cover to cover, even though it's just sort of wrapping stuff up. Well, and it's it's also like addressing plot lines for other characters that Slot's written as well, right? Like like you said, it's it's covering yeah. Nick Fury and the Watcher, and it's it's wrapping up storylines for She Hulk that were set in motion yeah. like a decade yeah. ago. Like that's crazy. It does feel like he's he's kind of clearing the board for the next person while also right. telling a full story, which is really neat. Yeah, and I don't want to spoil it, but there's a there's a something that happens or revealed mm-hmm. that opens up the Marvel Cosmic Universe so that there could be more gods and more characters, and that's really interesting. neat, I think. I mean, ultimately, that could always be the case. You know, any writer could just be like, and there's this god that and no one knew way, about. Yeah. <laughs> but this actually gives uh, gives some reason and makes it exciting for the future for the series, really. Awesome. That's why I was excited about it. But, mm-hmm. my God, what is your favorite comic of the week? Boy, howdy. <laughs> I loved Immortal X-Men number four mm. by Kieran Gillen and Michelle Bandini. Uh, I take yeah. it you did as well. I sure did. <laughs> uh, it was both our favorite book of the week. And this yeah. one uh, is a real showcase for Emma Frost, uh, really getting yeah. into her her psyche and, and her struggles and her uh, her anxieties and... And the ways in which she doesn't show them to other people. Uh, and mm-hmm. The fact that she's always on guard. She sleeps in her diamond form. She's always ready for the next mm-hmm. disaster. Uh, you know, there's a... We, we really get a sense of... Because so much of the new X-Men era has been, you know... the I mean, it's right there in the title. The immortality. The fact that it doesn't end. And she's not convinced, you know? This is someone who lived through the genocide on genosha like she's she knows that things can go terribly wrong and she doesn't ever want to be hurt again you know x-men right you think of team book but it really is about emma Mm -hmm. being almost like this silent leader there's the Mm -hmm. quiet council but she's doing so much uh to keep everything together and and it's it's how she reacts to things she learns during the hellfire gala i mean there's there's so much of just her processing everything Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways it feels like a perfect um companion to last month's issue which was like all about destiny right like right right like and if that's what this book is that is just like these very zeroed in uh Mm. character studies then it might be my new favorite (laughs) x-men yeah it can be kind of hard to read an x-men book and there's all these characters running around and sure. nobody gets a lot of time therefore right. it almost feels almost unfulfilling by the end of the issue it's like okay what like nothing I, happened <laughs> i really enjoyed hellfire gala but i i gotta say like this issue like unpacks things that only had you know two or three pages of real estate in that book so it's her right. it's her thinking about what she's learned about mr sinister and who she's gonna tell and and there's just uh, and you know how how she's reacting to the news of the new X Men lineup and mm-hmm. and it's I don't know it's a lot of like I'm it sounds like I'm making this book sound like it's all admin but it's not it's it is very <laughs> much like the you know heavy is the head that wears the crown right yeah that's well said yeah for sure and uh, yeah I mean it, you mentioned it kind of progresses Mister Sinister's story which has mm-hmm. been kind of lingering for gosh over a year now yeah so there's some progress there too oh man it's it's so great that like his reaction to being in trouble is to just say like <laughs> fuck this I'm out like yeah he's, damn <laughs> yeah like he's just gone uh, uh, it did yeah. have one of my favorite jokes too where like you know he's he's figured out how to synthesize everyone else's powers in like capsule or like consumable forms yeah and so yeah. when he throws his little nightcrawler teleportation you know orb 
everyone's just kind of like, did he make it smell worse than the sulfur <laughs> smell? Like, like how? Did the... <laughs> it just shows how evil he is. He has to make it even <laughs> more bad. Right, right. <laughs> That's um, funny. Yeah, great issue. Gorgeous. Yeah, this artwork. and this and X Men Red. I'm just, I'm, I'm yeah. really excited for those two. Yeah, every th- week. this X Men Red and Sabretooth <clears throat> are just consistently. Which is over. Blowing me away. I know, I know. I, I'm hoping we'll get more Sabretooth. Well, you can technically in X-Men Monday tomorrow. Hey. Yeah, Victor Villavale is going to be the uh, host, or not host, the subject uh, uh, to be interviewed. Oh, in I can't that, wait uh, to edition. read that. Yeah, it's pretty cool because it's almost like an exit interview in a sense. Mm-hmm. Well, moving on to our standout Kabow. moment of the week. We're going to talk about our favorite moment from panel or page. Mm-hmm. We can't talk about a whole comic, just a panel or page. Just one. Just do it. Just one. I uh, I really liked uh, Wolverine number 23 Yeah. Uh, by Ben Percy and Adam Kubert. There's a scene. The, the issue wraps things up. It's the sort of final issue of Deadpool basically bugging Wolverine for five issues. Uh-huh. Um, but there's a moment where they're in the danger room. They're fighting. Well, they're going. They're trying to fight danger. Right. And they get... Uh, melded into one body, right? I guess because their, um, their healing, healing factors factor, yeah. are getting confused. There's actually a data page. I forget if it's in this issue or the last one, but mm-hmm. uh, Deadpool is like, "What if I just rip my nipple off and put it on Wolverine's nipple and see if it grows onto his nipple?" <laughs> so it almost like set up this weirdness. But uh, it's like this. Adam Kubert draws this amazing, just like weird, gooey, fleshy Ugh, monster. Awful. Uh, I mean, yeah. he's got guns growing out of his skeleton. There's <laughs> swords popping out of his arms. Claws are going the wrong way. The Wolverine claws are going the wrong mm-hmm. way. Looks really painful. Um, and it's kind of like a, this big moment where they're like, "We got to get danger," and then this happens. They're like, "Fuck it, run!" <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, and danger is just like, "Leave me alone. Go away." <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite moment of the week? Man, it's a real X-Men week over here at AIPT. Uh, I went with a, a the the big reveal of the new X-Men team from mm. Hellfire Gala number one by Jerry Dugan and this page by Russell Dodderman, although there's a yeah. rotating list of incredible yeah. artists on that mm-hmm. issue. Um, and, you know, I just, I don't know, there's something very, like, very pleasing about this issue, about this page, the, you know, yeah. the, the star field that kind of borders them, the fact that, uh, you know, Sink's energy is kind of, you know, everybody's powers are kind of just, you know, uh, spreading out around the image, everyone's suits are great, um, and man... I like this lineup. I mean, I, I, I've seen some pretty interesting criticism (coughs) of it online that I don't necessarily disagree with. Like, you know, someone pointed out, we've sure got a lot of dudes with beams on this team, right? Like, (laughs) um, sure. So it'll be interesting to see how those, like how those different dynamics work out. But man, uh, seeing the amazing friends, uh, together, the reunion here Mm. of, uh, Firestar and, uh, Iceman makes me happy. Uh, I love the fact, like the the you know, there's a little bit of each person's feelings towards this, right? And in, in, yeah. in this image, like Firestar is not sure she wants to join in. She has no, she doesn't trust Emma Frost. She's torn uh, between you know her loyalty to mutants and to the Avengers. Um, we see Magic really taking this moment to shine and and you know saying, "Holy shit, I'm the I'm a main character and." two books now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. Uh, 
but uh you know it's it's also really nice to see scott gene and and sink still hanging out and and forge kind of off to the side and doing yeah he doesn't want to be there (laughs) um he's always kind of been a loner right he's in the the workshop making weapons and whatnot yeah and i'm really curious to see how he fits into the 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 wider team dynamic um Mm. Yeah, it's a really cool lineup. It's a great page, and it just made me smile when I saw it. I've been rereading some old Thor books uh, because of the trade paperbacks being sent our way. Sure. And Dodderman draws a lot of that Mighty Thor run with Jane Foster. And God, oh, yeah. he is so good. So he is great. so good. It's insane. He's been so good for a very long time, too. Yes, always. <laughs> always good. Oh, man. Well, that's it for Kapow. In our next segment, Top Books for next week, we're going to mm-hmm. talk about our most anticipated comic out next week. What you got? Uh, I'm really looking forward to Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings by Jean Luen Yang and Marcus To. Uh, this is the sort of soft relaunch of Shang-Chi uh, following the, the previous miniseries. And I'm just really happy to see this series continue. It's been consistently a lot of fun. Uh, the, the action has been wild and over the top and uh yeah i i you know not a whole lot to it other than the fact that i love this character love this creative team and uh excited to see him basically on the run from every bad guy in the marvel universe we, we've seen him go up against all the heroes and now mm. and now it's just like i mean the way they they've described this is every bounty hunter assassin and evil syndicate in the in the and the marvel universe is coming to take the 10 rings from him uh, so yeah, very cool. It's a natural place to kind of start a new series, even though this is a continuation of the previous mm-hmm. run. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, my most anticipated book is the fourth creator-owned title Scott Snyder is putting out mm-hmm. next week. Uh, Dark Spaces Wildfire, number one by Scott Snyder and Hayden Sherman. Um, this is a story about um, prisoner firefighters uh, trying to put out a fire, and an all-woman prisoner firefighting crew. And they uh, uncover a mansion where they uh, they realize they could take some cash, get some, steal some dough dirt under the the guise of fire. Um, uh, looking at uh, Sherman's art, which I'm not super familiar with, it reminds me of Chris Burnham style, which is like this oh, sure. detailed, yeah. um, kind of cartoonish sort of style. There is a double page spread in this. It's not a spoiler to say, where I think there's like 400 panels. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. I, I haven't read it yet. I'm really excited to re- read and review it this week. But um, it's, yeah, it's it's just a cool premise. I think it could be a good movie or something or TV show even. Uh, even though the last firefighter narrative or <laughs> fiction I, I saw was that Angelina Jolie movie that's just so bad. Have you seen that? <laughs> Wait, which one? Angelina Jolie is this like firefighter and she's like trying to save a kid and there's no i have not seen this she gets hit with lightning three times in the movie okay lara croft (laughs) firefighter basically yeah there's like one cool moment where she like gets underwater and the fire almost gets her (laughs) what is this movie i've not heard about this all right hold on is the fire chasing her (laughs) practically angelina jolie it was on uh, hbo max firefighter Um, movie those who wish me dead it's called oh is that what that's about because I kept hearing the, <laughs> I, I kept seeing the title and I was like, man, well, that's a banger of a title. It is a really good title, yeah. And it's a decent cast, too. It's got uh, Punisher in it. I think. I'm in. Yeah, John Brunthal. It, it it could be so bad it's good. It's okay. that stupid in some parts. Okay. Not but she gets like hit with lightning spaces. the second time. Huh? No, 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 not like that. When it, 
when she gets hit by lightning the second time, I'm just like, what is this woman's <laughs> luck? And she doesn't yeah. die a second time. I'm right. just like, what? Is this what? She's superhero? Maybe. Uh, speaking of superheroes, in our next segment, <laughs> judging by the cover, Junior, yeah. talking about our favorite cover art out next week. I'm going with Catwoman number 45 by Je- Jenny Frizen. She does a lot of variant covers for Boom. And this variant cover, who boy. Yeah, this is I gorgeous. love these neon uh, meows that yeah. are behind her. Kind of reminiscent, of course, of Batman Returns. Mm-hmm. But uh, she's got the, the cat ears. She's got the like open armpit <laughs> costume. Sure. Which always makes me laugh. Like I guess for ventilation. Yeah. Um, she's got like a long like uh, ring circle thing for her the zipper of her suit or yeah. something. It, it's uh, it's a nice mix of the uh, the sort of Frank Miller and Darwin Cook yeah uh, Catwoman costumes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you go to aptcomics.com and see this podcast, I suppose you can see the art in full. But uh, just the detailing on like the um, the the wrists, like the where the cloth is kind of bunching. It just looks realistic, and yeah. I love her like attitude. She's got her fingers up, like she's like, "Ooh, what am I gonna steal next?" Yeah, <laughs> looky here. <laughs> exactly. What was your favorite cover? Um, I love the cover for the Rocketeer, the Great Race number four. Uh, it's oh main shit! Cover by Gabriel Rodriguez, and uh, yeah, it's the, the Rocketeer in front of a biplane in flames. He's just gotten out of a crash. His his jacket is all burnt up and torn. Uh, one of his eye lenses is smashed and his rocket pack is in pieces in front of him. Uh, yeah. And he looks terrified. We only get one little shot of his eye, but it is so expressive uh, mm. and uh, just looks like he's he's really seen some mess and he's he's not giving up. There's just a. Uh, yeah, he's also literally smoking. Like, it's not just coming from him or from the ship. It's from him, too. Yeah. Dude has uh, seen some shit, huh? Yeah, it's an incredible cover. And it has me very yes. excited to, to see. This is the final issue, right? I think. I think so, yeah. It's yeah. a shorter run. Yeah. yeah. This has been a really fun miniseries. And, and this cover just has me so hype. Yeah, it's super cool. Nice pick. In our next and last segment, Scott Snyder joins the show to talk about Barnstormers, Deadly Dads in the Forever Machine, and Canary, all out next week. Woo! So, Scott, thank you so much for being on the APT Comes podcast. Oh, man, it's great to be back, dude. I, I love talking to you about everything. Now is an exciting time, so it's good. It really is. Uh, last summer, you unveiled the Comicsology Originals. Eight titles were coming. We got three so far. Three more are launching next week, July 19th. And you're branding it Scott-tober. Can you explain to me at all why it's not Scott Summer? Oh, well, I mean, I, I, that's, it was in the hands of the, the Comixology marketing people. I would be happy if the Scott wasn't a part of it necessarily in it again, but yeah. I'm happy for it. To, I'm always there for whatever they need. So they, they were thinking Scott-tober West Coast because we didn't get to party with the people right. on the West Coast right, right. in New York. So they're throwing a, like kind of a, a welcome party and a party for the books out there. So if anyone's at San Diego, there's going to be an announcement soon about actually getting to go to it. And, you know, all my friends will be there. It'll be, you know, Tynan and Williamson and that. But nice. it'll, it should be fun. Yeah. So we've got uh, Barnstormers, Canary, and Deadly Datsun, um, three new titles. And I know you talked a little bit about a couple of these last summer when we spoke last. Has it been, are they in the can for quite a while or are they still being developed? Those, because some of them are five issue series and such. Yeah, they're all, I mean, Canary's seven. The others are five to six, basically five yeah. exercised, uh, five um, uh, finales, but they're, um, they're almost done. I mean, Canary, we're five out of seven done. Um, 
Dudley were three out of five right now, and uh, Barnstormers were on the fourth. So nice. they're pretty well along. Yeah, everything's in really good shape. And um, yeah, so, and then we have two more books for, you know, the winter with Comixology, the um, Book of Evil, and um, Duck and Cover with Jock and Raphael um, Albuquerque. So yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride, man. I can't believe we're doing so many books. Uh, it's impressive during it. Well, thanks. I mean, it's honestly, it's I I could write the phone book with such great partners, and I feel like <laughs> the books would be stellar. So I feel just incredibly lucky to be working with such amazing co-creators. The first three titles were definitely leaning horror, and now these next three titles, some of them aren't so much horror. How would you define their genres? Yeah, I mean, what I wanted to do, and, and tell me if you felt this way reading them, David, yeah. but like the idea was to to go out really hard with the first three titles as things that were kind of one click away from one click away from maybe what you've you've seen from me and the co-creators books but sort of in the venn diagram of of what you'd also expect from us a bit so greg and i are doing big over the top action monster stuff with we have demons you know we just haven't been able to do a creator own before clear francis and i've worked together a bunch of times but we hadn't quite done sci-fi strict sci-fi or creator own and francesco and i same thing like we've never done it was more about doing creator own with create uh creators that you know you're familiar with me associated with and doing things that we love to do this wave is not only creators i've never worked with um extensively before but it's also pushing into genres that i haven't really i haven't really done a lot of work in Mm-hmm. So my goal is is to really try and put my money where my mouth is. It's sort of in tandem with all the teaching I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the 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 motto of that class is you have to kind of write your own favorite story for that day and stay exciting to yourself. And for me, like the idea here with the second wave was to go further afield and to do things that you haven't seen from me, to engage a little bit with some of the prose backgrounds um, that I have when it comes to a book like Barnstormers with historical fiction, do something that appeals to my kids doing all ages an all ages kind of book because my 11 year old is like you know up to his eyeballs and amulet and witch boy and all of that stuff now um do something that would appeal to adults and also kids there that again like in a genre i haven't tried and then with canary do something that blends a lot of genres but is and kind of mind-bending but is you know really rooted in western Mm -hmm. um and so to again do something do something that is definitely sort of ambitious for me um, in that book. It, it, it defies a lot of the kind of the storytelling conventions that I'm used to leaning into. Mm. So um, it kind of takes Western, a Western format, but it's about problems and anxieties and sort of nightmarish fears I think we have in the hmm. present day. But, but sort of almost imagine suddenly that in the old West, they're dealing with, with similar things and they don't know why. And so that all these books to me are almost like, if the first wave was kind of like the the lore was me working with creators that you're you've seen me work with before, but doing things that are creator owned um, in a zone that you know you expect from us in a fun way. This one is almost like unexpected. This is books with people I'm not associated with that challenge me creatively on the page and also trying things that I haven't tried before, genre and storytelling wise. It's really incredible to read all three back to back to back, just because. Uh, Tula Latoy, Jamal Eagle, and Dan Panosian all have incredibly different art styles to the point where I didn't even know I was reading a Scott Snyder written book in some scale because it's like, 
what am I looking at? This is so different and new and, and so cool. Is there... Thanks. How many issues does it take to start to write for a certain artist? Or did you not did you not have to do that at all? And you kind of wrote your own script and then let them go crazy? No, I mean, I, that's a great question. I mean, what we did, this is the format on all the books that we're doing, mm-hmm. creator-owned, not just the comicsology ones, but Wildfire over at IDW. And, you know, it's how I do Noctera. The thing that I love about um, creator-owned, and it's such a joy, honestly, is connecting from the ground up with the idea. So, for example, with um, Dudley Dotson, Dudley Dotson is a book that um, it's uh, about a young inventor who um, stumbles across a perpetual motion machine that was created by Daedalus, the mythic inventor Daedalus back in ancient times, and opens portals to a symposium of worlds where great alien inventors essentially all meet together to, to talk about all the wonders that connect us. But it's being pursued by a, sort of an organization of, um, of very predatory people called the Needle's Eye that have been after it for a long time. So it has this big epic cosmic scale. But the way it came about was I went to, Jamal and I were hanging out and we were talking about working together at some point. I told him that I was setting up a comicsology, talking to comicsology about a deal and I had room for other books. And we said, what do you want to do? And he was like, I'd love to write something. His daughter and my son are basically the same age. They're both teenagers in, in high school. And he was like, I'd love to write something that I wish had been there, um, you know, for her um, a couple of years ago when, when, you know, she was super into sort of all ages graphic novels, but would also appeal now. And I was like, that's what I, I'd love to try that too. And so I said, listen, I have this idea about a kid, uh, basically a, a secret history of invention, where all inventors throughout history kind of knew each other in the secret society, the, the, um, chemical society and and ultimately they've all been protecting this perpetual motion machine and he was like it's right up my alley and then he started talking about who he'd love Dudley to be and and what he'd love to bring to it from his own life and it's that so we build the book organically on it from page one and I know because he hands and designs he does all this stuff beforehand kind of what his priorities are on the book what thing he wants it to be funny and heartfelt so I know how to write for him before we start and then Generally, what I do is I kind of do a loose outline, show it to whoever I'm working with and say, what do you think? And then if they come back and say, listen, I need more room for this, I'd like to speed this up or whatever, I go back and redo it. So my goal is to write for them specifically. So no two scripts look alike, Mm -hmm. you know, so for like, for example, for, um, for uh, Panosian, for Dan, Dan loves lots of room. He's a born, he's done his own work as a writer as well. So he loves storytelling on his own sort of terms. So for him, I can give him sort of the emotionality of a scene and say, listen, this is what's happening between Marshall Holt and Hiram Tell. It's incredibly tense. It's all about him having finally caught this guy who's murdered people all across the Utah territory for no reason. And he wants answers. And they're standing at a lake and Holt and Hiram Tell is like bathing there he's got nothing on and he's totally exposed and we don't know why he's so calm with Holt. But the idea is that it's uh, entirely, entirely um, uh, tense and like a standoff between these characters, right? And I give him the, di- I say, and basically the dialogue goes like this and I'll describe it. And then at the end of that description, Stan just goes to town, you know? And then nice. I adjust to that when I, I adjust to that afterwards when I'm, sort of lettering it proper so for me it's that sort of it's the fun is figuring out the process that works together to make something that brings out the best in both of us in each book 
Nice. So it's a really great, pro- I love, I love the kind of methodology of that, like figuring yeah. out how to write for somebody new in a way that I haven't before. Huh. If there was a six degrees of Kevin Bacon for comics, I think you might've <laughs> blown up the game <laughs> with the Comicsology originals deal. I know. Well, Chip tweeted, Chip uh, Zdarsky, he was like, he, he's tweeted and then sent me this thing that was like a fake support group for people that don't have a book at this point with me <laughs> or whatever that have been like left out. Of That's the, funny. Because he was like everybody in comics. I know, but I mean, ultimately like, yeah, I mean, I, I felt really lucky that Comicsology created like such a robust space for us. But the truth is like, you know, it also, they gave us a lot of creative latitude. So the mm. fun was like making things that we want to make with, you know, on our own terms. So it's been a great experience. In regard. And not, not to mention you have Dark Horse publishing uh, the uh, collected editions as well. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the other thing. Like we have demons just came out. Um, the first, the, the three issues came out from Dark Horse and, you know, all of this is really new to us, Dave, like the, you know, for me, the reason that I wanted to do this deal with Comixology the way that we did it was I have other, you know, beachheads out there in comics. I've got a couple books at Image, you know, Noctera and yep. Bring, Bring Back Witches. And we got on Discovery Country. But and I have the book at IDW with, with um, Hayden. But I wanted a place that felt like we were going to try something that we believed in as a as a kind of new delivery system for comics that might sort of point away towards one possible kind of one possible future for the way comics could work. I mean, for me, the pandemic really exposed tremendous weaknesses in the direct market mm. in the way, not in the direct market itself in the shops, right? you know, as in as inherently in that system, but the way, the things that it relies on and its priorities, like the speculator market and variants and, you know, the, the ways in which competitive, the digital is forced into a competitive space with, with print all the time, you know, and instead, like my kids during the pandemic, I'm seeing them, they're reading everything digitally on from webtoons to Shout and Jump to, you know, right. to having a Kindle Unlimited subscription and whatever it is, and then coming back and then buying what they love physically. Mm. So for me, like the whole, the whole idea was to try something that would say, what if we create books that if you have like a Prime subscription or a Comixology subscription, you can read all of them for the price of one comic a month and explore and find all these other great creators on there and then buy the physical and see how that goes. Like if the physical has different material, if it's more collectible, if it's longer. And ultimately, um, you know, with We Have Demons, we wound up selling 80, 90,000 copies of the first one and it blew us away. It meant, meant to us, what it showed us was that there is a way forward where digital doesn't need to compete, where you can offer two right. slightly different things two experiences and you know people will still show up and and to me it's kind of the way that we're consuming everything now right like Mm. music vinyl vinyl right now is like booming because like my kids stream on spotify stream on apple music and then buy the vinyl or buy you know what's collectible for themselves that way it's the same with tv and film so you know i don't know like i'm very excited about the way the deal has gone for us i know there there was um you know, bumps in terms of the integration of the the app and the Amazon stuff in terms right. of the reading experience and all that. And we totally understand and, and, you know, I'm sympathetic to that too. But what I'd say to people is like from inside of it, the mm-hmm. thing that it did as much as I know that it um, for comic readers and died in the wool comic readers, you know, you want your old experience back or a different experience for us, like people making books there, 
what we saw was that it's bringing in and exposing a whole new audience that necessarily didn't see comics in the algorithmic search of their, you know, Amazon right. stuff right. as inherently. And then secondly, like it also, um, you know, exposes us to all that stuff. Like are the books that we're making, the books that are involved in, um, you know, I mean, it's making comic more visible to people that aren't necessarily always directly seeking them out. So right. there's a plus side to it too. And it's been, it's been really good for us all working there, even though, you know, I know that there, there are things and, um, you know, there are challenges to kind of overcome in terms of the experience of it sometimes for people compared to what they like before, but they're working on it. So yeah, it's been a wild year. I, I would do it all over again right now if I could. I'd love to stay in business with them and make more books because it's been a big joy. Well, the, the fact of the matter is like all these books are so different from each other in so many different ways. I mean, not only the visually, but the storytelling, like I don't know if there's another writer in comics that could pull off so many different ideas so well executed all at once. It's almost like you've been having these scripts in, in like a sh in a drawer since you were 12 and you're like, this is the one I wrote when I was 15 and this is the one I wrote when I was 25. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. It's weird because, well, you know what it is? I think what it is is that, <clears throat> you know, I love DC, right? I'm, I'm hanging out with all the DC people in San Diego. Yeah. They have a, a DC creators bar at Roy's. I'm blowing up everybody's spot, but they do they have like so for if you're a dc you know employee they have like a a setup there where you can go get drinks with them and whatever and they they keep me on there thank god which is nice so i'm nice. like going to hang out with all of them and marie and i love them to death but that said like the time that i was there they always gave me carve outs to do my own books right they gave right. me i fought to have carve outs to do indie books and i didn't have any goddamn energy to do it because mm. what would happen was like there's so much energy when you're at a, doing license work that yeah. gets directed into the politics of the company mm -hmm. and also towards calculating how to sort of how to position the book with fans because mm -hmm. you want to do something that is true to what you want 100% no matter what like that's always the priority right but also if there's a way to communicate to them that it's something that you think will work without compromising it at all that takes a lot of work it takes a lot of work with the marketing department the publicity department it takes right. a lot of work on social media and then internally especially at a place like dc where there's a lot of volatility you know it's no secret with a lot of different big worrying personalities it takes sure. huge energy to be able to just be like how the hell am i going to get this event through the pipeline that we mm -hmm. want to do that has batman you know has, you know, a Batman as the master of death with a scythe on a giant <laughs> dragon cycle. Like, I don't know how we're going to do this. So leaving, suddenly it was like, it wasn't even that I had all the ideas. It was just the desire to work outside of that matrix and be mm -hmm. like, how do I find a friend, a co-creator, give them the seed of an idea I've had and say, let's build this to something only the two of us can do. I miss that process so much. Right, right. I mean, I had it on Witches and The Wake and that, but there was a long time where I didn't have it. Mm -hmm. And my the guy who did the contracts there, Jack Mahan, would always tease me. He's like, I give you these carve outs, you never use them. And I was huh. just like, I'm too exhausted. You know, I fight for them, I get them, and I don't use them. Right, right. You know, and it was just so for me, it's that. It feels like a burst of excitement and creativity in terms of just trying things collaboratively with with creators I've wanted to work with in ways that you know allows them to steer the ship as much as me and that's that's the fun of it so it's like there's no way like I wouldn't have none of the for example like maybe this is telling 
-hmm. nobody on this list of stuff at all like got this as a pitch that anybody else saw before them meaning there's no like a pitch that i took to someone they couldn't do it while i'm using this person it was all here's an idea do you like it Mm. do you want to build it with me and we built it together and it was like that like you know clear like literally clear as me and francis came and stayed at this house you know my place with his family for a few days before the pandemic and we were just talking about things we're afraid of for our kids and it was like you know i'm afraid of the fact that everything they're going to encounter in life is going to be fed to them as more of what they already like whether it's Mm. music you know algorithms with music oh you like this more of this news information politics everything kind of you know so we're like, well, let's create a sci I was like, you know, I have this idea for a sci-fi world like that. He's like, great, let's do it. And it was, you know, built out from there. So again, that's where it, it comes from, I think, just being excited to work in a different space altogether than I was in before, as much as I love DC. It different would culture. love to license stuff again. Different culture. Exactly. Yeah. Different culture. It's like I like I can sit with Tula and be like, Tula, I love barnstorming. I, I wanted to get a barnstormer tattoo years ago. And then I just, at the last minute, I, the image wasn't right. And I'm like, I have this idea for a story that, great, I love it. You know what? What if we did it this way? I can do, great, let's do it. That we're off, you know, and then just building it. So it's that, you know, it's that. And it, it's a great, it's, it's, exo- it's like I've never had so much work, mm. but I've also never felt less tired. I feel excited, you know? So yeah, it's, it's a good moment. I hope, I mean, like for me, like, and I count the books up there with the best stuff that I've done. You know, I really, right. really proud of them. You know, I don't think out of all of them, there's anything in there that I wouldn't really list with my, you know, stuff that I'm proudest of. So, yeah, I'm really happy. You mentioned uh, Francis Manipool, Dudley Datsun, and Clear both introduced some pretty cool technology. In another life, would you be an inventor? Because <laughs> I want those oh, technologies. <laughs> I know, right? They're like, I feel like, you know, I, I love the idea of trying to do, trying to, trying to sort of make it unclear where the science ends and the science fiction begins. Like whether you're doing horror or, you know, speculative sci-fi, like I love it with when you're doing horror and they're like, not quite sure where, you know, the heart became the vampire heart along the way. And like where the, the science of this changed into the, so yeah, the same thing. Like, I mean, all the technology that we talk about in Dudley, it's based on real stuff and all okay. the um the same thing like yeah clear it's all all of it is kind of like taking something that exists in an nascent form and then pulling it into a place that it isn't yet you know so yeah like 20 I years ago i used to when i was in like high school i'd read popular science and i swear to god there was so much uh technology that they said was coming and it never did like i remember there were like coats that would turn you invisible like the predator uh that just never happened i don't know it's weird Still waiting on my flying car, man. I, know, I was like, right? I, like <laughs> I, I mean, like the whole, all that stuff. And then, you know, I feel like I went back to that movie. Um, uh, What was it? It was the uh, Michael Douglas one. It was really bad where it's like him and, um, and uh, Demi Moore and like he sues her for, they're like suing each other in a company for oh, yeah, yeah, harassing yeah. each other. Yeah, yeah. But like a big part of it is like the, is what it, now we're doing the metaverse, but it's like a virtual reality filing system right dude it's so funny to look back at like what they thought we would have now where it was like you're walking digitally in the space like through right. you know like the hey it's the meta yeah it's like that. the metaverse yeah. now right <laughs> facebook i know but the, it's the problem is like it's everything terrible. is so much more boring than yeah you're it was right supposed to be where it's yeah. like it's all just you know 
it's all just like well you know what it is small. no one wants to take chances like comicsology is letting you take chances with these series eh? look at that it comes for a circle <laughs> exactly and then i'm like yeah yeah the i feel like it's funny because i on the one hand it's it's just it's we're all like riding on the backs of megalodons now you know i think mm. we don't know like what the right it's it's a strange moment, dude, because not to get like off topic, but I yeah. think one of the things that's exciting about it and one of the reasons that I'm, you know, I, I love what we're doing at Comicsology, but it's also a fascinating moment to me just as someone in the creative community is that it feels like there's more opportunity than there has been ever in terms of there are more companies to make a comic with, right. there are more deals um, to sort of consider. There's some more venture capital in it. There's also more methods like that totally forget about companies, Indiegogo, Kickstarter, everything. Loose utter Substack, web to, like at the same time, there's less stability than there's ever been. Meaning like you, you don't have the day job at DC or Marvel available the way you used to necessarily. And you also don't have the residuals the way you used to, like the royalty structures are different. Everything is more like uncertain and yet there's more chances to take control of your own career and try new things. Right. So right. it's a really like scary, but exciting moment at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm obviously in a really privileged position because of all the years at DC, but I talked to so many young creators, both through the class that I do and just, by virtue of, you know, enjoying those conversations. And even in TV and film, like going over and doing the witches show a bit, like you see the same thing. It's so, you know, for us, there's all the thing of like, comicsology gives us all this freedom and it's incredible. And the money is secure, meaning like they give you the page rate in a bank account where you, you know, we hand in the issues, the money's there no matter what. And nice. in these uncertain times, that's close to like a day job. You know, it's wonderful. Right, right. But you know, at the same time, it's like you, you, you don't know outside of that. Like, I'm like, I love it. It's safe. It's creatively liberating. It's the best case scenario. And then I see all the, a lot of people also, it's like, well, you want to gamble bigger on getting bigger royalties at the end, because if it's non-digital and it's image, you know, you, it's, it's a really fascinating moment. It's a totally different discussion, I think, but it's like, for me, trying to find things that point the way forward or things you believe in that say, maybe this is a method that if we kind of publicize it or become part of it and try and invest in it, it will show us a strengthened kind of lane to drive in in comics where it's digital first, browse subscription, mm -hmm. go back and then buy the collected, buy the, or buy the special edition print in a way that, you know, if you like the book, it's, it's fun because it feels like you're trying to sort of, you're trying to bet on things you believe in in really wild times. Right, you know what right. I mean? Yeah, I mean, so, even with like printing issues, like I, I know for a fact, like Marvel keeps delaying trade paperbacks just because they don't have the paper. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like, I love the direct market and I, you know, I'm, I'm, we're totally invested in it in all kinds of ways. And I've got books outside of comicsology there, but, you know, there's also a lot of volatility right now in that way too. And so it's, trying to figure out ways that sort of like help or at least, um, you know, buy into different lanes and comics and say, maybe this is how you could do it in a way that would strengthen, you know, if you can do the direct market solely, well then let's do it in a way that's protected against some of the risks in some ways. If you're going to do digital first, let's show you how digital first could be a good stepping stone towards also print in that way. And, you right, know, right, just, right. 
trying to trying to think of yourself as somebody in a comics community and not just kind of you know not just not just sort of in an isolated way but being like what are things i actually believe will will be good roots for making comics not just in this exact moment that you know that like that take advantage of the uncertainty in certain ways but instead like you know show show how we could strengthen some of the things that maybe aren't quite as quite as solid as they should be uh, speaking of making money, Tom Cruise just made a billion dollars with Top Gun 2. And then, I don't know if you saw, on his birthday, they released an image of him holding onto a old-style plane while it was upside down. <coughs> like, made, a bar, like a wing walker? Yeah, I don't know if you saw it. Go to his... Uh, well, he's... he's <laughs> it's from Mission Impossible 7 or whatever. He's like the person, if I could hang out with... I feel like I've been fascinated with him, like, as long as Same. I can remember in the Same. way that... He's always seemed, he's always seemed, like if I could hang out with one person in all of Hollywood for a day, it would be him because I know I'd wind up like jumping out of a plane, you know, or going to the moon or something insane. <laughs> and like that, that to me, like, I don't know that be living in a way where it's like your whole life seems like a battle with mortality. All of it is like, <laughs> right. you know, unnecessarily like, putting yourself in danger. So, <laughs> yeah. There's like a primal struggle happening. There where it's like, <laughs> Do you see these abs? Do you see these death? You know, like there's something, <laughs> right. I don't know. It's like, I just want to, I just want to sit and watch, watch his, like his, the machine of his mind go for, you Re know, reading barnstormers. I thought of that image of him holding onto that plane that was released a couple weeks ago. Like, what fascinates you about that American cultural phenomenon? And by the way, I think you're probably doing more for Barnstormers than anyone ever, right? I, like, I didn't even know this was the thing <laughs> until I was like, wait a minute, is this a, what is this? And then I Googled it. Well, what I love about it is the thing. So the thing is like, the truth is like getting back into these three books, like, you know, all of them are personal too. Like I said, the way they were created has to do with approaching another person that you want to make books with and saying, this is an idea that matters to me about this moment. Do you feel this too? Or what do you have in your mind that's really worrying you or exciting you right now? And how do we build something out of that? So Barnstormer, I've always loved just the imagery of it, first mm. of all, and the kind of odd, the odd sort of surreal quality of people trusting each other to one person flying and the other person literally walking out on the wing of right. the plane to wave that people are jumping from one plane to another. I mean, they, the, the death defying stunts they do like playing tennis on the wings <laughs> hundreds of feet up is right. crazy. Um, but the, the more I drill down into why it fascinates me in terms of its time period is that it was a moment not unlike now. It's 100 years ago, almost exactly, right? And on top of that, it's like, like a moment when it's in between a pandemic, a cataclysmic event like, you know, World War I. Yeah. And rich, rich people are kind of celebrating this oddly booming economy that's really only helping them mm -hmm. before everything is about to crash again and Sounds fall into complete dis disrepair, right? So it's about you know, it, barnstorming to me, it's people taking a machine of war. Essentially, they're taking their own decommissioned warplanes that are no longer like up to par. So the, the, Air Force, the Army sold them, the military sold them for very cheap, the Curtis Jenny. Taking it and flying around the country and turning it into something beautiful where young people are like trusting each other in the sky against death. <laughs> as the whole system is being regulated away by airlines, they basically hated this because they were like, the business thought it showed airlines as like airplanes as unsafe. Right. So they were like, because people kept dying doing it. So they were like, so it's almost this weird, desperate, 
sort of beautiful thing where hopeless or kind of hopeful but desperate young people are doing this insane thing to survive and make money mm. against kind of all odds. And it's a fleeting, beautiful moment, like just like the thing. So I love everything about it. And that's mm-hmm. the story is it's that that's. And so similarly, like Dudley Dotson is about um, people that have forgotten how essentially like this perpetual motion machine is supposed to link all of these different planets and in and societies that kind of have have um reached a kind of pinnacle of invention and we on earth have become afraid of them and have decided we're not going to use this thing anymore and things are falling into disrepair and fear because of that we're afraid to kind of reach out and be collective and for me even though it might not read it on the surface you can see jamal's very politically active online i'm politically active in my private life yeah we're both very concerned with obviously with the tribalism and the feeling of absolute dissolution that's happening to any kind of center mm-hmm. of discourse where we're all just falling into more divisive, angrier, scarier, you know, sort of, um, I think, positions. And we're worried about, like, you know, people just like the extreme right and all of this stuff destroying democracy, all of it. So the, the idea is it comes from a real place and it's supposed to be resonant in this moment. And Canary is obviously that. Canary is like... Sure. The Western is a, you know, the Western genre is this incredible prism that's been used at, I think, almost more than any other genre at moments of great change and transformation to re-examine the American character, right? So you get the searchers, you know, in a time of of, of civil rights discourse. You get, Mm -hmm. you know, Josie Wales during Vietnam. You get all of these, you know, then you get the wild bunch and kind of the anxiety and violence and sort of nihilism of the 70s like all of it it you know the, the famous westerns kind of correspond to their moment mm-hmm. and so we wanted to use that the the sort of template of the western to sort of have a marshal go up against this crazy random violence that they can't explain that's happening mm-hmm. and to create almost a mind-bending mystery about this one mine to that's collapsed mine years ago to connect it to now to say like that something that happened you know almost, you know, 150 years ago might happen again now in this same way and that. And so it, it's, they're all, they're all very much about things on our minds now, even though they approach them very differently. Some like Dudley Dotson are translated into kind of total comic book lunacy. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to read in, as something rawly about this moment and other ones like Canary are a little bit more on the surface. So, you know, for us, it's it's all the comfort level of the co-creator and, and w- what we're saying, how we're saying it. But that's the fun is to always make something that feels relevant to you now and feels like it's addressing things that matter to you about, you know, your hopes and fears for yourself and your kids and the world and all of it. So I'm really excited for people to be able to read all three on the same day, too, when they all come out July 19th. Are they all coming out each yeah, the same week every week for each edition. Each no, edition? they'll after the after they first come out, they'll split up and go uh, okay. one each week. So each one will have its own kind of release date. Because it is really cool to monthly. read all three, like just to see the the <laughs> the differences and not only like Tula Toys art is amazing, all of their all of the art is amazing and different from each other, and then the tone. But like you're just saying, there's like a deeper meaning that's you know impactful for now when we're leaving right now. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I mean, I'm, I think comicsology is really flexible. If people love reading them on the same day, I'm sure we can figure it out. But the, 
I think the plan right now is to do it in a way where there's kind of sequentially released week by week after the, so it'll go like week one, week two, week three, after they all come out in one burst next week. Nice. Before we end, I wanted to tell you a quick little story. I had uh, Christopher Priest on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Oh, nice. And uh, he starts telling me the story about how he was at New York Comic Con and Leonardo DiCaprio comes up to him and starts talking to him. And he's like, and I'm like, Leonardo DiCaprio's like, yeah. And then he's like, but it wasn't. It was Scott Snyder. And he thought you were Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio. <laughs> wow. I will take that. I will uh, take that. A lot of the time people are like, who's the guy that plays... Um, I get, I get like, you look like a slightly younger and I'm like, slightly the guy, uh, it's a British actor and he's like, or, um, Michael Shannon, I get sometimes, which oh, you know, sure. is fine. But then this other guy, the, the British actor is like way older than me. Oh, and I'm no. always, they're like, you look a slightly old, younger than this guy. And I'm like, ouch, you know, constantly. So That's I will take that. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, he was. uh, I really appreciate it. He was relating a story. I guess you guys were going to do a Deathstroke Batman thing together. And then he was like, some kind of metal, metal thing happened. I was like, death metal? He's like, yeah, it's the one. (laughs) We were, we were going to do, yeah, the schedules just didn't match up. I was excited about it. And then DC, DC sort of, um, you know, couldn't connect us in time, but. Some other time, I love Chris. Hey, and then he ended up—he ended up with the Neiser nomination for his Deathstroke run. So there you go. Absolutely, I know it's better without me. Good. <laughs> That's the lesson here. Well, Scott, thank you so much for spending the time. This has been a lot of fun and very interesting no. stuff here. No, Dave, anytime, Dave. I love talking to you about all this stuff. So yeah, hopefully let's do it again soon. Yeah.